0: This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM
1: and KTAR.com. Washington has been abuzz with hearings on the January 6th insurrection. And uh, I, have, uh, I don't want to reiterate those, but uh, to me the interesting question is, What will the reaction to this be amongst those Republicans who one might describe as not absolute in the tank for Donald Trump, but more you might call more traditional, more traditional business, conservative, moderate slash fill in what you will the the, sort of the non in the tank Trump. Group, I have uh, two guests here. Chuck Coughlin has been a regular here, and Senator Paul Boyer is joining us for the first time. Welcome to the show.
2: Yeah, thanks for having
1: me. Uh, first, I do – I wanted – this is an annual tribute that I make to human frailty. This is the 101st anniversary of the birth of Mr. Dick Rowe, and I, I see them looking at me with blank stares in the thing. <laughs> Dick Rowe was the audio music executive who took a pass on the Beatles, basically oh, wow. saying, "Mr. <laughs> Epstein, guitar groups are on the way out. I'll take a pass on your guitar
0: yeah, uh, great call and the, And the other example
1: of human frailty uh, again from the rock and roll world. Mick Jagger then in in the early 1960s said, "You don't expect me to be doing this when I'm 30, do you?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just the Stones just announced their 60th anniversary tour is kicking off. <laughs> They're approaching 80 at this point. So, uh Yogi Bear said uh, it's difficult to predict exact especially the future. Yeah. <laughs> so with that little bit of humility in mind, I wanted to, well, first of all, to introduce Senator Boyer. You are, Arizona Senate is 1614 Republican. That means in order to carry the way the Republicans uh, need a unanimous vote of their caucus. And you are often that pivotal vote, it seems. You've been the guy that that has sometimes deviated from the party line and and prevented the Republicans from basically running the show alone. And therefore, that makes you kind of an interesting guy to talk to. This is one of the reasons why I, I wanted to bring you here. Let me start out with just a couple of observations. i try to make – and invite you to – if you, you don't think I'm being fair, but what the kind of the hearings have done now just to set the stage. The first evening seemed to me the point was establishing there was an insurrection. It was violent and it was an attempt to overthrow the election and it was planned. And not everybody that was there was part of the plan, but key group planned an assault. And some of those were in contact with the White House and key members of Congress showing them around and the like. I thought key there that the female officers presentation was compelling, as was Liz Cheney, uh, who interesting, of course, being a conservative Republican daughter of the vice former vice president. She impressed me as a, a meticulous prosecutor, and uh, that's that's my take on. Is that you think that's a fair take on the first night?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd say uh, on the first night it was unfortunate they had the second on the morning when people are working. Yeah. and so I, I mean, I completely missed it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they probably had discussions that said, you know, can we draw an audience the second time? It was it was certainly drew, I think, 20 million on the first night. They would have had a drop off at the second. They might not have gotten all the coverage. So essentially in the in the second show, that theme seemed to be Donald Trump knew about this. He knew that he lost the election or at least everybody around him told him that. And as uh, Attorney General Barr said, in effect, either new or he was delusional. The accusations were not necessarily new. But I think what was new was that the verifications to this were by key Trump partisan insiders. These weren't Democrats. These were, and these weren't even just outside Republicans. These were Donald Trump's inner circle. Bill Barr, Ivanka, Jared, key staff member. As uh, Heather Cock Richardson, the historian, wrote, we'd now heard evidence from Trump's Attorney General William Barr, campaign manager Bill Steffian, White House lawyers, even his own daughter, testifying under oath that the 2020 election wasn't stolen and that such claims were at least in part a way to cheat small donors out of $250 million. Insisting on the big lie has become a requirement. For public Republican candidates, and I think it's the last part of that that I I want to introduce uh, as a question for this. I look at the candidates for statewide office on the Republican side. I can't think of one that has made the simple declarative statement that uh, Joe Biden won the 2020 election. We had here uh, Matt Salmon. I thought probably the most moderate of the candidates. And I, he, he was sitting in your chair, Senator, and I asked him that question point blank, and his answer was carefully crafted. He said, Joe Biden is the president. <laughs> I said, that's nice, but it, it, we both know that's not the question I just asked. He can't seem to bring the words, I assume, because he thinks that would be fatal in a Republican primary. Is he right?
2: Yeah, sadly, I think he is, and I think that's why you're not hearing any statewide uh, Republicans saying that Joe Biden won the election fair and square.
1: So where do you go from here? If I mean, if truth, you know, and I, my truth, I establish is the Trump campaign, as they were entitled to do, took this to court sixty times. Mm-hmm. They lost all sixty, hundred and eighty separate complaints. Every one of them turned down. Most of them by Republican judges. A lot of them by Trump-appointed judges. They're essentially ac- accusations are made often by his attorneys on the steps of the courthouse, and then they go into court. And as a officer of the court, the 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 uh, in several of the cases, the judge asked the attorney, "Are you alleging fraud?" And the answer, with the possible exception of Giuliani, who's since been disbarred, was <laughs> no. I'm not alleging fraud.
0: So. You know, I, I think where you go is you go into this cycle, and we're in this cycle right now. Whereas you've just indicated there's a variety of candidates an, an, in the Republican side answering that question in different ways, uh, and some are saying yes, outright fraud, stolen election. Others are saying, you know, he's the president. Others are saying, eh, there was challenges with the cycle, with fairness issues. You know, and there's a variety of ways to respond to that. None of them are doing that in an outright, you know, no, um, the election was fair and square, and we're moving on. Um, But that will have its impact in the general election if, if, if Democrats are talented enough to, which is a big question, uh, to focus a campaign narrative on the justice of that statement. Because we do know, uh, as a matter of fact, that um, polling numbers know this in Arizona, that a majority of the electorate does not believe the election was stolen. And that's a majority of Democrats. That's a majority of unaffiliated voters. And that's about 25 to 30 percent of Republicans. Maybe that number is bigger now, given the declarative history of what's gone on. I haven't gone back and done that. that. These are numbers from earlier this year well um but you know if uh if let's just say katie hobbs let's say or let's let's say it's mark fincham the secretary of state who is a clear election denier on the republican side succeeds at getting elected the secretary of state on the republican ticket um you have two democratic opponents uh who are clearly not there and if i was them i'd just make the election about that how can you elect a guy who says we're not in charge, that he's in charge of your vote. He goes, he's denied the election, and I'd make every single ab- opportunity for this election to be about that issue. And I think Fincham would probably embrace that. And, I, I, you know, he'd love that opportunity, and he'll be proven wrong. I think that might work for Secretary of State, possibly not any other office. Well, I don't know. I mean, do we know that? Do, do we know that? So let's say Katie— uh, Uh, Katie Hobbs is the nominee. Let's say she wins the Democratic. And let's just say Carrie Lake wins the Republican uh, Mm -hmm. race and the two of them face off. Again, if I'm Hobbs, that's all I talk about. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely all I talk about. How can you elect somebody who wants to take away your vote, um, who's anti-Democratic? I wouldn't debate her. I wouldn't ever go talk to her. I would load up every gun I had and point it at her with that message. I'll get get Paul's reaction to that,
1: Senator Boyer's reaction, when we come back after the break in the Think Tank. The Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back. Uh, Chuck Coughlin just gave us his take on how, basically how Democrats ought to to run an election. Senator Boyer, your reaction to that?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a year where we do have a, a, a massive... Tailwind. We should win. Uh, we should mop up the floor with the Democrats. I do think if Democrats hone in on that message, then that would that could mitigate any losses that they might have. Uh, I think it could be a winning message. But I'm more worried about long term. I'm worried about if we continue this uh, narrative that you know the election was stolen and everything is rigged. I'm worried about 2024, 2026, and and thereafter. And just and just how we
1: hold together as a democratic society if people aren't buying into the basic fairness of the system writ large.
2: Right. And, and let's go back to Federalist number one. I mean, where Hamilton says the important question, whether men are capable of self-government or self-governance. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder about that. If, if we can't get our elections right, how long we can keep this up? What do
1: you do? How do you fix
2: it? I think you fix it by finding candidates that care more about the truth than they care about getting elected. And that's difficult. It really is difficult <laughs> to find. And Chuck's laughing, but- That's no. why I don't run <laughs> candidate
0: campaigns anymore. Right. <laughs> they're,
2: they're out there. They're just very hard to find.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, my sense is that that's an area where we've gotten worse, that there, there used to be more people who were willing to fall on the sword for a principle. And and I don't think there's much
0: they're, they're still out there though. Yeah. I mean I this I hasten to point out a great example of that right now is Rusty Bowers. Mm-hmm. Um Rusty didn't allow the audit to infect his body. He threw his body in front of that train. He has now been awarded a, an award from the Kennedy Center uh for heroin. Yeah. Um and yeah. and you know, it's out there. There are people out there. Um, that it's it's a lonely place, as the Senator knows, <laughs> uh when when you're in these positions and it's difficult, but it's it's character shaping and it, it will those instances shape long-term goals. I remember, you know, working for Jan um in Governor Jan, Brewer. Yeah, Governor Brewer in in 09 and she said, Well, we gotta raise taxes. Um and I'm like, holy moly um that 's a big chunk because uh, you got to be up for election in twenty ten, <laughs> and so how do we do that and you know she said, well we can 't cut our way out of this budget hole i mean it 's unbelievable heroism uh on her part, and she won she got it done uh and she won going away that next november um and you know the the electorate does reward um honesty and integrity, and I think if you can frame things around that. You can win elections. Um, and so, uh, you know, but so few people are are willing to do that because it is scary. And and political consultants don't often give that advice. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, your your job is to tell people how to win. Uh,
0: yeah, that's why I can't do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's why, I can, you know, because I don't want to win that way. I want to win the right way. And, you know, I think Jan and, and Fife spoiled me with that. Uh, Governor Symington and Governor Brewer spoiled me with that because I got an opportunity to work for two people who stuck by their guns. And, you know, that that was a, a life shaping experience. McCain. I worked for McCain, mm-hmm. too. I worked for Grant. Um, people of different character, different policy issues, but they all believed in what they were doing. Yeah, none of whom are currently in office. Nope. nope. No. <laughs> uh, Senator, question
1: for you. OK, uh, you we posited this that you know everybody feels like they have to say, you know, some shade of I disbelieve the election or fudge the answer. Your sense within your your own of the, of the elected officials, you know, how many of them really believe the election was fraudulent versus feel they have to say it?
2: If I had to uh, harbor a guess, I'd say about five percent. Five percent. That are true believers that the election was stolen.
1: Ninety-five percent is political expediency. That, that's my read. Mm-hmm. I don't know which side I'm rooting for more, actually. <laughs> I mean, uh, at, at least it, it the, the the 95 bespeaks a certain intelligence, yeah, yeah. To, to ability to confront facts, if not to retell them.
2: The, um, the most disheartening thing is to see when members – when elected officials say, we want perp walks and we want to you know, hang them and – uh, you know, get them to get them to you know jail them. I mean, th- to me, that's the most disgusting, and disheartening thing because they know better. They, they know that there, if there was something illegal, <laughs> then there would have charges would have been filed a long time ago. There, there are lots of
1: Republican prosecutors who could make great names for themselves doing just
0: that. For sure. Um. Well, and the outcome of the election would have been radically different. I mean, you wouldn't have had down ticket Republican victories all the way along the board. Well, that's why it doesn't I mean, fit the facts. It yes, if there yeah, was the, going to be narrative fraud, it would, doesn't yeah. fit. It's it's the reality is that Republicans won down the ticket and they split on Trump because Trump, I mean, I, my own narrative is he so badly handled COVID. Um, he was so disingenuous about how and unempathetic with the electorate. That even in an overwhelmingly Republican electorate in Arizona, he lost because he lost touch with voters on that issue.
1: I think you were on the record saying that Trump was going to win pre COVID. Yeah. I mean, you were here saying he is going it to win pre election and then COVID hacks, and, and then that was the new yeah. fact.
0: I mean, you, you couldn't have found somebody to bet against Trump before COVID. I mean, remember, the economy's rolling, everything's going great. Um, And there's not a problem and everything's great. And then COVID happened and he did not respond. You know, it's not going to happen in America. It's never going to come here. Um, Oh, take, you know, these funky drugs, argue with the experts You know, deny what's happening. It's only 25 cases.
1: I remember looking at that and saying, you know, but I understand an exponential curve. And when it was 100 cases, it was frightening because of the rate of increase.
2: Yeah, If he had just said, we're going to listen to the science, we're going to listen to what the scientists say, he'd be president today. Yeah,
1: absolutely. No question in my mind about that. Well, we'll return after the break, and Senator Boyer said he is will, willing to give us some insight very quickly <laughs> into what is happening this week at the legislature. There's some very, very serious—it's uh, it's crunch time. The budget, uh, particularly funding for schools and vouchers and all of that, uh, when we return in just a moment in the think tank.
2: The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.000 and KTAR.com.
1: We're back with not only Chuck Coughlin, but more importantly for the moment, uh, Senator Paul Boyer, you are in the middle of the hot seat right now. Uh, It is crunch time at the legislature, and uh, I'll let you describe it. But essentially, the issue is the confluence of two things, uh, funding for public education and expansion of vouchers. What's happening and uh, where do we
2: stand? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful we can get out of this one, and maybe Chuck has some insight for me on how we get out of here. Uh, the legislature, you know, passing the budget, that is. So on the one hand, you have people like myself that are fighting for more money for K-12 education uh, to the tune of around $850 million, and then about $200 million one time, so about a $1 billion uh, higher ed funding. Uh, the, the current budget has one-time monies, but I'm looking for more ongoing. Our per capita rate in, in the state, vis-a-vis other states, is horrendous. If we want uh, higher wage paying jobs, then uh, whether or not you like the universities, it doesn't matter. I mean, we need more engineers. We need more STEM fields. We need more six-figure jobs in the state of Arizona. So the on the competing side, you have legislators that don't want to increase spending one dime. Uh, they'd actually like to cut spending. They'd like to return some of the the uh, surplus to the taxpayers, and so uh, the question is, what gets you to thirty-one and sixteen? Thirty-one members in the House and sixteen in the Senate, and the governor sign off on it. And so that's that's kind of where we are right now. Just the give and take of wh- what's it going to take to get us there.
1: What do you think a package will look like that will that will get us to agreement?
2: Well, uh, as uh, you had mentioned on, on the Empowerment Scholarship Account side, also known as vouchers, uh, the House is, is proposing universal vouchers for any kid in the state of Arizona. So, all 1.1 1. 1 million students could be eligible. I'm pushing for Title I kids or the kids in high poverty areas that, uh, that need it the most. And so, there, there's a competition between the House and my proposal right now. What I think you'll see is uh, some kind of significant investment in K-12 above and beyond what current leadership is proposing right now. And, and how so, much is that? They're, well, they're I mean, that's that's what we're talking about uh, the next few days. And so, uh, again, I'm asking for $850 million. Uh If it gets to 700 I could live with that. And so – The question is, does that peel off a few members where you need Democrats, where you finally get, in my experience, I I haven't seen a bipartisan budget since maybe 2006 with Kopernicki and and, uh, and Jennifer Burns. And so this could be uh, the first bipartisan budget that you see uh, for at least 15 years. and, and,
1: And to explain to people, that means if you lose a couple of the Republicans that say, we don't want to spend anything. More, than you need to pick up a couple of Democrats.
0: Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. And that but creates you, the tension yeah. then over the voucher issue because most Democrats are opposed to the voucher system, particularly universal vouchers. But I think he could probably get votes correct on, on Title I vouchers. That's on right. The vouchers. But, but then that requires some movement
2: on those Republican sides to attract some Democrats. They're they're not enamored with Title I only uh, empowerment scholarship account expansion, but I think if there's enough significant investment in K-12, they can live with it. Yeah, and
0: and then there's people on the – there's parts of the Democratic caucus um, or Democratic interest groups, Save Our Schools and others, that would promise to refer, I think, um, those universal vouchers, but may be willing to live with – um, those Title I vouchers, uh, you Title
1: One, it would be about what percentage of the of the student
2: base? It's pretty significant, mm-hmm. I'd say. Uh, w- after it passed completely with with mm-hmm. just Title One, with what we already have, about seventy five percent would be eligible of all students in Arizona.
1: Okay, so seventy five percent. So we're talking in the range of making seventy somewhere between seventy five and hundred percent of the students eligible
2: up to 75%. But again, that's just eligibility. Uh, The numbers, guys, the JLBC say that you're only going to get about a 3.8% usage. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, let me ask a question about that. So that's the point. So if it's 3.8% usage, or let's say it's 5%, does that money that would go to those Title I schools then stay in those
2: Title I public schools? So there are certain – like the classroom site fund, it it gets super complicated. But no, I mean the money, 90 percent of what the school would have gotten goes with the parents. But under my proposal, the JLBC actually scored a a modest savings to the state initially. Um, The universal would be pretty pricey. So to put that in in perspective, uh, you would – this
1: proposal, the compromise proposal would uh, infuse additional funding in the one hand – for public education, but to the extent that students opted out by going into private schools, it would take away. From the other hand, so there'd be an offset there.
2: Yeah, so that's why I've been fighting for not so much tying, but adding a hundred million dollars for a poverty weight or an opportunity weight, as mm-hmm. some would like to call it, just to offset any uh, loss the school might get. So
0: that money would stay with that public school system. If the kid didn't leave, if if the child didn't take the scholarship, that money would stay in those the poorest districts in the state. The, the poverty rate, yes, 100%. okay, because that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big deal. So, if if you're right, then that only three and a half. If JLBC is right, and only three and a half percent of the kids take the scholarship, then the rest of that money, that hundred million dollars, stays with those poorest schools yeah the hundred million stays regardless of students leaving or not okay and does the other money stay that, that's what i'm still not clear about does the other money stay with those poorest schools if the if the if they don't take about if if the kid if they doesn't do take, take a voucher well they, yeah. if they take the voucher the money goes with the kid he packs mm-hmm. off with the kid but if the kid doesn't take the voucher where does doesn't that money just stay with the district? Yeah, then?
2: it's just like it does right now. Just right, like, no yeah. change. Right, yeah. so yeah.
0: it's it's a big it's a big number mm-hmm. that this would impact those poorest schools in the state. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's a that's a amazing thing um, that you know. I, I to me that's the Democrats falling on their sword to protect 3.5% of the students at sacrificing 97% of the yeah, students. I'm thinking
1: of, of the impact on the schools. If, if, you know, you're running a school and uh, you're losing – if you lose 3% of your students, say, that money goes, but you still – a lot of your costs are fixed. You know, you might have two less teachers and you don't have to pay the teacher, so you save the money. But you, your plant is identical. You're, you still need a school nurse. You still need a principal. You still need everything else.
0: But you're getting a ton more money under this well, proposal. Well, depending on
1: – yeah, depending on how big the offset is, yeah. Do you know
0: how much – I mean, that would be an interesting number to see what, what the amount is that would affect, you know, per student. Like you were per saying, student, right. what's the per student funding?
2: Well, what superintendents have told me is if we can get significant dollars into the classroom – so to the tune anywhere near 850 million, 100 million of which um, for the poverty weight, that they can they can do their jobs so well that they're not even worried about students leaving mm-hmm. on the scholarship, and so they're like just just fund us and we'll make sure that we do so well right. at our schools that we're not mm-hmm. even worried about it. But but for the for the handful of parents that do want to pull their kids for whatever mm-hmm. reason, it could be a great school. It's just not a good fit for them. I mean, I went to Deer Valley. 3000 students i was just a number mm. and i flourished in a, in a a small private school my junior senior year of 200 students but the 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 problem with that uh, the political
0: problem with that scenario is at that funding level um you pro- for title I, you know for if it's just for um if it's just for title I schools if you got 850 – you're probably losing some Republican votes on that. Am I correct that, that some of the more conservative Republicans aren't even going to go that high?
2: Well, yeah, on the dollar amount for sure. And they want – I mean that's why they're, they're pushing for the universal ESA. But I think what, right. what gets them off more is that it's not a universal ESA versus uh, the, the exact dollar right. amount.
0: But that's the compromise that's going to have to be made to figure out if you get Democrats, if you can recruit Democrats into the room, if they fall off um, because of the universal voucher um, and you need to get Democratic votes, you, you're, you're, you know, if their number doesn't go up to your 850 million or if you say 700 million, if they won't go there, then that becomes the, that becomes the challenge. Are you
1: hearing that under any of these plans that the, that
2: the, uh, uh, save our schools people would threaten a uh, referenda. So I mean they they of course they're not gonna guarantee anything, but they're they're more amenable to the Title I only um mm-hmm. ESA expansion. Mm-hmm. Well
1: uh, I know you've got a meeting to run off to Yeah.
2: The, real quick I yeah. want to mention one more Please thing. Do. Uh there's another sticking point, and that's the wall. There's a three hundred fifty million appropriation for a nineteen mile wall that uh, no Democrat can vote for. And so that's another Another thing that we have to think about is we're trying to get 31 and 16 mm-hmm. votes.
1: Well, one last question for you, just broader one. Uh, you've been kind of one of a really small number of swing votes, the non-predictable swing votes. You're retiring. I'm taking the political Sabbath. OK. <laughs> Do you see anybody in the offing of who's running and likely to win that that will fill that slot?
2: Well, I mean, if if the if the polling – Not su- necessarily in your district. Yeah. I mean, if the polling suggests that Republicans pick up a few seats in the Senate and the House, I don't know if it matters. Then it, it, right. I, if Republicans pick up seats, it's not going to matter. If yeah. it's about where it is now,
1: then it's going to matter a whole lot.
0: That's right. So. Well, and there's, there's opportunities given some of the – I've looked at about five districts in Maricopa County, which um, you have election deniers – running against incumbent elect uh, legislators um, in Republican primaries. Um, and so the outcome of the Republican primary in those five legislative districts is critical. And, you know, it's why people should request early ballots and vote in the primary because you do have a – you do have a comp- a competition of ideas going on in the republican primary and, and I, if I election think, denying is going to play
1: anywhere it's going to play in a republican primary That's
0: exactly right. And then and then if if those election deniers get elected eh, maybe they don't win their general election. I mean back to the earlier depending discussion point we were and, depending, and, yeah, depending yeah. on the district. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a it's a fascinating little milieu which I would say is if you don't vote in a primary You're missing out. You're denying your ability to influence the election. So please vote in a Republican or the Democratic primaries. You got to request a ballot in order to have your voice heard. And there's a good chunk of the Republican Party wants to take your vote away (laughs) and and your early voting away. If you want to protect your early vote, vote. Okay. That's the best way to I promise,
1: Senator it. Boyer, I'll get you out of here. I know you're going to a meeting. Chuck and I will wrap this up uh, in your absence, and uh, hope you can come back again sometime. Yeah,
2: for sure. Thanks for having me. Take care.
1: The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Our thanks to Senator Paul Boyer, who had to leave in order to go to a meeting. Chuck and I are left for this last segment. i got a question for you, Chuck. That January sixth hearings i 'm wondering who the audience is. Let me give you several choices. Uh, one, the general public is overwhelmingly committed one way or the other. Uh, the Democrats are, are pretty unanimous in uh, in being outraged by what happened uh, the trump loyalist i don 't see anything there affecting most of them there's There may be some residual who uh, who watched that and see some of the, you know, my God, these are the Trump insiders, uh, you know, right. Th- these aren't the, my enemy. These, you know, well, uh, uh, another theory, the audience, maybe is the audience, the justice department, Merrick Garland, who's sitting on potential indictments, uh, or is this, you know, which I see is kind of a retreat, but true, uh, documenting for history. Yeah. Clearly facts that will be on the record forever. Um, You know, I think back to, you know, this is so different from watching Watergate that, you know, Watergate was about who done it. Nixon said I didn't do it. The tapes come out, it became clear he did it at that point. You know, Trump is more or less everything he's done has been, except for the details. It's been out there. it's been in tweets, it's yeah. been in speeches, you know, he urged the people to show up on January sixth. It's gonna be what was it he It'll be wild, I think it was mm-hmm. you know uh, all that was out in in the public domain. the hearings. The detractors of the hearings have have claimed, well, it's not that much new. And there's kind of a little bit of truth in that. It's it's true because it was already out there. there. What is not – what's new is these are Trump insiders kind of confirming the worst of the interpretations of all of this. Trump knew – I mean, they didn't get him saying, I know this is phony, but, you know, you had everybody in his whole camp saying, look, this election's over. We haven't won except, I guess, drunk Rudy, (laughs)
0: uh, who wasn't accessing information. Drunk Drunk profit-taking Rudy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. you know and and i guess maybe the if there's any other new element it's probably the grift idea the, the extent yeah. to which that 250 million dollars was not used to file legal cases you know, sixty yeah. grand to the the son's dirty uh, the daughter-in-law, the the a couple of staffers. The chief of staff got a million dollars for you know it, a quarter million for the Trump hotels. I mean, it 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 just looked like it was funding everything on earth, other than legal challenges, right. of which there were a bunch and went nowhere. So the question is. And I'm sorry for the length no, of that. Who's
0: the, who's the real audience for this? I think there's lots of them. I think your question poses that there's lots mm-hmm. of them. Um, there is the historical record. I think this is a conclusive uh, documentary, a documentation of the evidence around Trump's um, complicity and uh, uh, effort to overthrow a, an official action of the government. So there is a a documented narrative history of it that's provided. Um, there is number two um, that's not going to change a lot of people's minds about this issue. Uh, it's not going to overwhelmingly move the electorate one way or the other. Uh, I do, do believe you're correct that there will be a question here at the end uh, of what about the a fraud. What about the fundraising and the fraud that he's done? And there will be the potential for a referral of a fraud. But the longer term narrative of that will be to an effort to quash Trump's additional fundraising ability to put him on notice and to put his donors on notice that you're contributing to a fraud. There was no election Challenging reform group, there wasn't a legal defense fund. Where that money went, I think is going to be really well documented or at least attempted to be documented to the best of their ability uh to do that um I think all of those things are true um your comment about you know this is not watergate, it's not iran contra it's not McCarthy um there are no moments in these hearings, so it was like you know. Do you have no honor, sir? There's there's no Ollie North looking com- perplexed in front of the camera. Though I
1: must say Liz Cheney is
0: awesome as a prosecutor. She's good. I mean. She's got but then again, back to that side, that that other side. I mean, they've hired a television news producer to produce all this stuff
1: which is why it was so compelling it's compelling if they TV. had done traditional hearings it would have been boring and right. everybody would have shut
0: it right. off right right that's exactly right so they've they've created a narrative that they want the country to see and that is what's being laid out here i do believe it has some impact on that 20 to 25% of republicans who are just exhausted by this i'm formerly one of those republicans Um, that absent this, I may come back to the party someday. But I'm not going to uh, be complicit in this action of denying what is an official result of an election and trying to overthrow an act of sedition of the government. And so I think there's a narrative line there. Maybe we can perpetuate that narrative line out here in Arizona in some of these elections that we're going to have about what candidates actually believe and and create as we said earlier with Paul create an election narrative in the fall this fall about honestly you actually you had 60 cases you lost them all you had innumerable opportunities to prove your point you did not prove it you continue to believe that you're not su- you're not suited to be my elected representative So is that a narrative that can win elections here in Arizona this fall? Can Mark Kelly use that election against his Senate opponents out here? I think he can. Uh, Does he do it? I don't know if he does it. Um, If Carrie Lake wins it, can Katie Hobbs do that with Carrie Lake? If Mark Fincham gets elected – does the Democratic nominee, Adrian Fontes or uh, Reg Bolding, uh, hold that uh, um, other party accountable that way? I think it's fascinating. We we both recognize we're not living in static moment. We're living in fluidity of history as these things unfold. And I think it's fascinating to watch how that could potentially play out. Donald Trump, is he finished as a candidate in your estimate? I think he is. I think what he's doing right now is just collecting money. Um, you know, I I have my suspicions over the Blake Masters endorsement, you know, was that bought? Did Peter Thiel make a giant contribution to uh the Trump organization? Peter
1: Thiel is the Blake
0: Masters was uh, the Blake the blank Masters, Masters master donor, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um it, did he make a donation to foster that endorsement? Um, I think that's what he's doing is holding hegemony over the Republican the, – the core Republican Party by continuing this narrative and using it to raise money um, and, in, and using that money and influence over the party. I suspect he's done as a candidate because if, if he gets out as a candidate and loses again, he's done. He's literally done. He becomes a fringe of a fringe, and that's uh, and a loser is the one thing he, can't he cannot afford stand. to be a loser. Emotionally, he cannot afford. Right. Well, his bank account yeah. can't take it,
1: and he and the financial starts going pretty well. Yeah, two hundred fifty million. Yeah, he that's, raised two hundred fifty. That's a million. lot of hotel rooms. Yeah,
0: is the next one going to be? I lost a Republican primary race. Yeah. That's not going to fly, and so I don't think he can afford to lose. So I think he stays on the sidelines. And 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 La- last question. We got maybe guilty. twenty
1: seconds. Is the Trump endorsement a net positive or negative? I think the answer is maybe it depends.
0: I think it depends. Uh, it's, it's probably helpful in a Republican primary, um, but it's not helpful in a general election.
1: OK. Last word. Thank you, Chuck Coughlin. Thank you, Mike. To reach me, mikeoneal.org is the website. You can uh, use that to reach social media as well as email anybody who wants to contact me next week in the Think Tank.